0: Welcome to Farm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I'm an associate professor of pharmacy practice here at the Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy at East Tennessee State University. I'm recording this on May 16th, 2019 from my office at the VA campus in Mountain Home, Tennessee. Thank you for tuning in or downloading, listening, opening up your podcast app or, or viewer um, to listen to another episode of Farm. Today we're going to run through some of the many May Uh, FDA approvals, kind of new approvals for old-ish drugs um, that all kind of have a theme here in that um, uh, these approvals raise some questions of of really what to do in in their respective patient populations and really leave us wanting a little bit more, unfortunately. So before I get into that, just remember that in the United States, uh, the FDA, Food and Drug Administration, when they approve a medication, think of it as this We are saying this drug or combination of drugs for these, this approval indication, second line, liver cancer, whatever it may be, you know may have some benefit to at least one person. They're not necessarily thinking this is what should be done in this setting. It's not an endorsement. It's not thinking of how people may try to use the drug off-label or anything like that or some of the unintended consequences of a drug carrying an FDA approval. Uh, to get an FDA approval, usually the drug company has to submit, uh, the, uh, the manufacturer, pharmaceutical company has to submit some added data from a clinical trial to warrant the approval. And we'll see that kind of theme that these are, um, you know, industry-sponsored studies. So let's start going back to May 2nd. Uh, Ivacidinib was approved for AML with an IDH1 mutation in patients not fit for intensive chemo or above the age of 70 or 75 or older. This was a study of just guess how many people you guessed too high, probably. There's 28 patients. Uh, the majority of them, almost 80%, had either therapy related AML or myelodysplastic related changes uh, with AML. The complete response plus complete response with hematologic um, or incomplete hematologic recovery um, again, that would be we don't see AML. Uh, but their white count doesn't recover an ANC above, say, 1,500, platelets above 50, I think, or maybe it's an ANC of 1,000. Is 12 of the 28 patients. That's a 43% complete response or complete response with incomplete hematologic recovery. So pretty low response rate. Um, uh, 40% is nothing to sneeze at, I guess. Uh, but again, only, a 28 patient, only 28 patients. The median duration of response was not reached in those 12, but it ranged from 20 months to 40 months, so fairly durable responses. For these patients. But this raises a question. We know Ivacidinib is approved for relapsed refractory AML with an IDH1 mutation, and now we have an upfront approval on those who are not fit. But what do we do upfront with those who are fit? Should Ivacidinib be added upfront to intensive chemotherapy, or should it be used as part of consolidation? These are remaining questions uh, out there about uh, Ivacidinib. On May 3rd, adotras 2 was approved for. Uh, for adjuvant treatment in her two amplified breast cancer patients who have residual disease after neoadjuvant taxane and trastuzumab-based chemo, this is based on the Catherine study, which is published in the New England Journal of Medicine in December, uh, December fifth, two thousand eighteen. Uh, patients were accrued from April thirteen April of two thousand thirteen, to December of two thousand fifteen, which is important. They were randomized one to one, so we have about seven hundred and fifty-ish patients uh, randomized to Uh, adotrastuzumab imtanzine, which in the early publication was called TDM1, which is what I'll call it, or trastuzumab. Now, these were patients that had non-metastatic HER2-amplified breast cancer uh, that were going to receive neoadjuvant chemotherapy uh, containing trastuzumab. Many of them received anthracycline as well. Uh, 80% of these neoadjuvant regimens included trastuzumab by itself, with or without chemo, and 18% received neoadjuvant trastuzumab with pertuzumab, and that's an important because that means less than one in five got the neoadjuvant HER2 targeted regimen that we would use today. Uh, and they were given 14 cycles of either TDM1 or trastuzumab uh, in the adjuvant setting after surgery for those who had residual disease. So that's 42 weeks. You add in the neoadjuvant chemo, you're talking about a year of probably uh, HER2 targeted therapy. Uh, the primary endpoint was three-year invasive disease-free survival, which was higher in the TDM1 group, 88.3% versus 77%. And the overall survival was not significant. Uh, so that's, you know, uh, you know, a 10% absolute uh, benefit as far as invasive disease-free survival. And once the disease comes back, we probably would probably consider incurative. So it seems like a reasonable surrogate endpoint, although overall survival was not improved. Uh, but the questions this raises is, what does this mean for the patients today who would be receiving neoadjuvant trastuzumab and pertuzumab? Uh, do you still see that same benefit if you used um, adjuvant adotrastuzumab? What about if you just use um, adjuvant trastuzumab, pertuzumab, plus a different chemotherapy agent as opposed to, so say, instead of an anthracycline-based treatment, you use a fluorouracil based treatment in the adjuvant setting? Um what about it's? It's also why? Why did they not use a dual HER2 regimen in the adjuvant setting in patients who had residual disease and did not have a great response from her 2 target treatment? We already know that uh, patients who, in the metastatic setting, progress on trastuzumab alone do better with trastuzumab plus pertuzumab. They even do better with trastuzumab plus lapatinib, so kind of a, uh, a wimpy, wimpy uh, comparator arm here with single-agent trastuzumab in this patient population. So, you know, Catherine, I think, answers an old or outdated question. Okay, May 10th, remucerumab was approved for hepatocellular carcinoma patients who progressed after serafinib and had an afp alpha fetoprotein protein uh, greater than or equal to 400 nanograms per ml. And that number, 400 nanograms per ml, is associated with poor progression. Uh, this is based on the REACH 2 study, which was p- published in Lancet Oncology in 2019, January, so uh, several months ago. Uh, so these were all second line patients, a phase 3 randomized controlled trial. They randomized 2 to 1 to remiuseramab or placebo. Uh, and the median overall survival. Improved from 7.3 months with placebo to 8.5 months with ramucirumab, so a one-month improvement in median overall survival, median PFS difference of 1.6 versus 2.8, uh, also statistically significant. So you have about a one-month improvement in preventing uh, disease re- uh, progression with PFS and overall survival with overall survival. So modest, modest benefits. Uh, they, you know, you could argue these are all people with an AFP above 400, so a poor prognosis. Uh, but the question here is, what, what is the best second-line agent for HCC after serafinib in those with an AFP above 400? Uh, the NCCN, uh, National Comprehensive Cancer Network, uh, currently, I believe, has three Category 1 recommendations for that patient population. Uh, regorafenib, cabozantinib, and remucerumab. I talked a little bit about this in the HOPA highlights. There's a talk about this um, in both the, the, the pivotal resource and celestial studies that support the use of regorafinib and cabozantinib respectively in the same second-line HCC patient population. Um, you know, the results are pretty similar if you make that dangerous uh, inter-trial comparison. With regorafenib, median overall survival was 10.6 months versus 7.8 months. So almost a three-month improvement median overall survival. With uh, celestial cabozantinib, uh, it was 10 months versus eight months roughly median improvement in overall survival. Um, Now, an AFP above 400 or greater than or equal to 400 was a stratification variable in both of those studies with regorafnib and cabozantinib. Now, if you look at the subgroup analysis with cabozantinib, it seemed to perform better in those with a high AFP than placebo. With regorafnib, there was no difference in those greater than 400 or less than 400. But you would love to see a drug to drug comparison as opposed to a drug to placebo comparison, Um, but I would not hold your breath for that. So again, we get an approval, but we have a question that is unanswered. What is the best drug for these patients? Uh, May 14th, Valumab plus Exitinib is approved in the first line setting for renal cell carcinoma. Uh, you can go back and listen to our uh, our pod from February called Exitinib's Bid Weekend um, because uh, this was published basically the same time in the New England Journal of Medicine as another study uh, where Pembrolizumab was added to Exitinib. So now we've got the question is uh, in the first line setting, if you're using an immunotherapy plus a TKI, which is the better partner for Exitinib, Pembrolizumab, or avelumab? And then on May 15th, just uh, the other day, Venetoclax plus Obinutuzumab was approved in the first line setting for the treatment of chronic lymphocytic leukemia or small lymphocytic lymphoma, a disease we call CLL-SLL. This is based on the CLL-14 trial, uh, which I could not see the full published results from yet uh 432 patients enrolled in the study randomized to venetoclax obinutuzumab or chlorambucil obinutuzumab and i'll mention these were patients who were had medical conditions that you know kind of frail or not fit basically patients who would not have been candidates for fcr of course nowadays we probably wouldn't even consider fcr in most patients with cl we just use uh, brutinib um the, there was a large uh, improvement in progression free survival with the, the venetoclax arm compared, compared to clarembisil has a ratio of 0.033 so a 67% improvement in the risk of progression or death uh, that 95% confidence interval is 22 to 51% or 0.2 to 0.51 so pretty pretty large benefit overall response rate 85 to 71% favoring venetoclax um so the question that's raised from this is, how much worse is this than, than a Ibrutinib? Because everyone everyone's really uh, impressed with what we see with the results from a Ibrutinib. Now, of course, there might be some patients because of atrial fibrillation or whatever reason, just cannot tolerate a Ibrutinib or might not be candidates, uh, and then might benefit from venetoclax and CD20 target therapy. Um, and if you want to sound really smart, just complain uh, on Twitter or in the office or wherever about why are we comparing uh, CLL regimens to chlorambucil uh, because everyone's made that complaint and uh, you know it hasn't changed anything uh, and it's really surprising that if you complain about stuff on the internet um, you would think that that would cause some positive change in the world but it doesn't it doesn't seem to so in the month of May 2019 that's gosh that's five five approvals of drugs previously approved um, so you might start seeing this uh, these are um, there's a combination of, of approvals here based on already published indications that patients or providers may have already adopted, uh, versus um, some unpublished stuff. We're just maybe uh, if you're if you're like me, uh, you're just learning about uh, some of this stuff based on the FDA approval, which serves at least for the podcast as a good prompt to talk about these issues. Uh, Coming up uh, in, in later episodes, we've got some landmarks of OncoPharm, uh, getting back to some of our landmark clinical trials to go through, and of course, whatever else pops up in this ever-evolving and fast-moving field of oncology pharmacy. You can follow me on Twitter at PharmDietnip. Follow the podcast at OncoPharmPod on Twitter, as well as on Insta, Um Find us in the iTunes store. Give us a nice five-star rating. Give us a good review. Uh, Tell us what you would like to hear more about on the podcast uh, or communicate directly with me on social media. Uh, Yeah, that's That's it for this week. And until I talk to you or hear from you again, remember, doses matter.